we're going to talk about two 90s things. And the first one is, anybody remember the Stephen Curtis Chapman song, I'm diving in, I'm going deep, in over my head I want to be, right? And there was like motions, you know, that was my youth camp experience. Uh, I rocked it, waves of mercy, right? Like that's my worship, God, and my how my life has changed since then. But um, I was, uh, as I was talking to the Lord about the message for today, I just kept hearing that song in my head, and I'm like, wow, I have not thought about that song since probably 2001. So, uh, but that's what's happening today. We're diving in, and we're going deep. So uh, I want to just give a little bit of a disclaimer, as I do sometimes. Today is meant to stretch you. It is meant to challenge you. So I don't know where you're at in your journey. I don't know if you've ever heard what we're talking about before. I know I've never preached publicly a lot of what I'm saying today, and uh, there's no going back after this. So praise God, right? Um, so we're going deep, and that's okay. So what I felt like the Lord, like three weeks ago, and I was planning on preaching this last week, and then as you guys know, we weren't here. So I was like, oh, come on. I cannot wait. So what I felt like the Lord dropped in my heart for us was, what does it look like to live in heaven now? Okay, what does it look like to walk with Jesus connected to the kingdom of God, not just connected when we want to be, but living from the place of continual connection? Amen. So that's just a telegraph of where we're going for today. Um, Here's the thing that I know to be true so, so deeply. Knowledge alone is not enough. Okay, so Oklahoma needs to hear this. Knowledge of God is good, but it's not enough. The knowledge of God was always designed to move us to a place of activation. Amen? It was never designed that we just learn and learn and learn and keep learning and never do. The Bible actually talks about that when it says, don't just be hearers of the word, be what? Be doers of the word. So we have to challenge ourselves to not wait until we feel like we know everything there is to know before we act. Americans like to do that. Citizens of heaven don't. What's the distinction? When we live with the understanding of God, we understand we are continually learning and we will never be filled, right? We understand that there's always going to be deeper revelation. So if we wait We will miss what God wants to do. Here's the other kingdom principle. The revelation that God brings is designed to add in your going. The way the Lord works, he does not equip you completely and then you go. He gives you enough to get your first step going and then he continues to meet you on the journey. Look at the disciples. Look at Jesus' ministry with him. You will, with them, you'll see That it was always a, let me give you a little bit, and now I expect you to go do something with it, and then come back and let me give you some more. So we, especially as Oklahomans, we have to challenge ourselves to remember that knowledge alone is not enough, okay? That we have to have action. If we don't have action, we are doing something wrong. I'm going to let that sit in for just a minute. Here's the thing. If you guys are familiar, I know we've talked about this some extensively here, um, but if you're familiar with the understanding of the Holy of Holies, okay? So God wanted a temple built, a permanent place for his presence, and Solomon helped him do that, and God designed it in a way where there was a Holy of Holies. In the inner sanctum of the temple was a room that had a curtain that for today's purposes we're going to call a veil. It's an actual, you know, it it could be considered a veil. The curtain was not thin like this. This is not even half a centimeter thick. 
The curtain on the Holy of Holies was six inches of woven fabric thick. It was not hollow in the middle. It was so dense. It was very tall. It was unbelievably heavy. And only one person, one time a year, was allowed to go behind that where the presence of God dwelled. The curtain or the veil was meant to be a prophetic symbolism for all of us. What did it symbolize? One of the things that had many... One of the things was that God was saying, in your current sinful state, you cannot exist with me back here. It's too much for you. So this veil has to be where you can physically see there is a problem that needs a solution. And this is where you're supposed to be, but you can't be there because of that problem. And so forever, for all the time that the temple and the Holy of Holies was standing, everybody understood that. I can't go back there because I have sin. And then as you guys know, probably as the story goes, Jesus is dying on the cross, right? And he's giving of his body. He's actually sacrificing his body. He's the only person that ever was or ever will be able to give their life genuinely. And what happens when he does that, when he breathes his last, the ground begins to shake and the curtain is torn from the top to the bottom, something human beings could not physically do. I've already told you the dimensions of the curtain. It took, do you remember how many people? It took like a hundred men to move this thing. Hundreds, excuse me. It was enormously heavy. And so God was saying in that moment, from my perspective, I don't need a barrier between us anymore. When Jesus died on the cross, what God was saying is, the separation that I've been reminding you about, I don't need that anymore because now there is a solution. Amen? And now the solution says, you and I get to live back here. But here's the thing. Because we understand that we're sinful... Because we understand at one point there was a separation, how many of us prefer to live separated even still? How many of us are reveiling what God has already torn? This is what we're talking about today. What does it look like to live without the veil? See, this mattered to Jesus a lot. And if you go back and read the Gospels and you read it through this lens of the lens of Jesus living as if he was in heaven but on the earth, the stories of the Gospel take on a whole new light. And I want to encourage you, if you're currently reading the New Testament, put that little filter over your eyes. Begin to look and see. We're going to look at three different scriptures. You might not be able to see them through this curtain. Sorry about that. Um, But we're going to look at three different scriptures today. The first one is Luke chapter 4, 29 through 31. And uh, here's what this passage of scripture is. So Jesus has just been baptized. He's gone to the wilderness. He comes back. This is his first sermon, okay? And I don't know if you're familiar, but in the Jewish synagogues at the time, they were set up in sort of like a rectangle, and the chairs would actually make a U, and they actually had interactive type sermons. So uh, the, the rabbi would say something, and they'd actually discuss it. That's how it was. And so it was Jesus's turn to read from the book. So if you guys have ever been to a liturgical church service, then you know that there's a lot of denominations even still who plan out the Bible reading for the whole year. So you show up, it's July 26th, here's the verse that you're supposed to read, it's so-and-so's day, and it's just a rotation, okay? This is what was happening then. And Jesus goes off book. 
he decides not to go to the scripture he was supposed to. He starts unrolling a different scroll, right? And this is what he says. So he begins to read. Uh, you guys can read the whole passage in Luke chapter 4. I just want to focus on this one part. What Jesus does is he begins to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to anoint me, right? You guys know that passage in Isaiah? And everybody's going, oh, wait, that's not today's reading. That's not, we're supposed to be, I don't know where they were supposed to be, but it wasn't there. And when Jesus began to speak, something happened. Remember that they had been in 400 years of drought from the living word of God. There had not been a prophet on the earth in 400 years. What does that mean? Have you ever in the last week listened to a sermon, read a meme, listened to a piece of worship, and the spirit of God hit you? You guys know what I'm talking about? And you felt that jolt of God, and you're like, oh, that was good. Maybe even right now. Just kidding. Uh, yeah. But you know that feeling that happens when the living word grabs your soul. This is what was happening the first time in 400 years. No one in that room had ever experienced this before. All of a sudden, they're going, who is this guy? And Jesus reads, and then he sits down, and then he does the most audacious thing. If you think Jesus was like just very passive and weak, you don't really know him. He was snarky too sometimes, you know? And he sits down, and then he goes... This is fulfilled in your presence. Something along those lines. I, I'm like, man, when I get to heaven, show me that real Lord. Like they're all going, what did he just say? Did he just call himself a prophet? And so they begin to debate like they did in the synagogues. And so then Jesus takes it further. He starts talking about how Naaman was healed, but the Israel, I mean, oh, he just goes straight between the eyes to them. And it says, then they were incited into a furious mob, okay? So that's the background of what's happening before this verse. So it says, the, they mobbed Jesus and they threw him out of the city. They dragged him to the edge of the cliff on the hill on which the city had been built, ready to hurl him off, verse 30. But he walked right through the crowd, leaving them all stunned. Now, this is a cool story for a number of reasons. But I want you to look at it through the lens of Jesus living in the kingdom, okay? Let's go back to the 90s. Any mosh pitters in the room? You don't have to raise your hand. One, two, great, three. Don't be shy, be honest. Uh, if you are not familiar, in the 90s there was this, and probably still today, there was this move of mosh pits, okay? So when I was at my high school dances, this was all the rage. Certain songs would come on, Green Day would come on, and everybody would flood the middle and start hitting each other. It was like what we called fun. I don't know. Teenagers are weird. So we're uh, on the... We're on the um, dance floor and there's moshing and, and it's, it's the closest thing that I can get to articulate to you what a mob is like, okay? When there, there's like, at some point, if you're in the middle and you want out, you're waiting till the song is over. There's no casually walking through a mosh pit. So let's think about the mosh pit in the context of the Israelites incited into a furious rage, dragging Jesus to the edge of the cliff, and then something happens as he's about to go over, and he just walks right through them. It doesn't say they changed. It doesn't say they all, all of a sudden were like, ah, forget about it, we're over it now. What happened? It's some like Avengers stuff. You know what I'm saying? What I think happened... And, and I, I can't prove this, so you're free to have a different opinion than me. What I think happened is that Jesus somehow accessed the supernatural realm, and maybe even like through quantum physics, which you guys know I love, maybe even metaphysically changed his matter to walk 
through the crowd. Something happened. Do you know what it was, Garland? Let's hear it. And here's the thing. They were stunned. If he casually walked through them, they're not stunned. They're annoyed. Are you catching this? So I'm not saying this is Jesus' first miracle. We know the water and the wine was that. I'm saying this was Jesus' like power on display. Why does this story make it into the Bible? It has applications for you and I. I hope that we'll ne- we're never on the edge of a cliff needing to go do it again, Lord, right? But it has applications. Let's look at Matthew 17, 1 through 13. I'm gonna, you guys can scroll through this on the screen, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, This is the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. And so if you guys know this story, uh, Jesus, actually Grant and I were there on the mount, like we got to go to the mountain that this happened on when we were in Israel. Uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him, and they're going on a little trip, okay? They're going up, and it's a big rock. They're going up this mountain to be alone. And something happens, and I want you to note here that when they get up to the top of this mountain and they're alone, there was no bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, Okay. There was no prayer. There was no Jesus, now it's time. Just all of a sudden, Jesus pulled the veil back for Peter, James, and John and let them see him in his true state. And he was dazzling and radiant. You guys know this story? And Peter, always putting his foot in his mouth, Peter, doesn't know what to do. And they're all stunned. And then, as if that wasn't enough, a moment later, two very, very long time dead men show up. Moses and Elijah, probably someone had to tell these three who those two guys were because they'd never seen their picture before, right? And so Moses and Elijah show up, and now the three of them are uh, standing there talking. Jesus is just chit-chatting with them. And Peter is like, uh, uh, this is what I think about Peter. You know the kind of people who, when they get nervous, they talk? That's Peter, right? So if you're, if you're like that, rest assured, there's somebody in the Bible like you. And so he's nervous. He didn't know what to do, and he's just talking. And he's like, should we build a shrine to you guys here, Lord? Like, this sounds good. Let's stay here. But then before he can even finish getting that out of his mouth, a cloud shows up and wraps them all in it. And the audible voice of God starts saying, this is my son, talking about Jesus, who I love dearly. You should listen to him. And at this point, the three guys are like, I'm out of here. Boom. They go face down. I don't think they fell out. I think they prostrated themselves doing one of those like, dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away kind of moments, right? And I don't know, do you imagine like, like they're on the ground and like maybe they're peeking out? <laughs> Is it still happening? James, you look. No, Peter, you look. I already made a fool of myself, you know? And they're on the ground waiting. And then, then this, I love this about Jesus. Then it's over. The encounter is over. And Jesus goes, hey, get up. Let's go. So they're walking down the mountain And uh, Jesus says, oh, by the way, don't tell anybody about this till I've resurrected from the dead. And I just imagine John being like, pass me that papyrus. Don't tell anyone until he's resurrected from the dead, dot, 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 whatever that means, right? Because they don't know. They don't fully understand what's about to happen. If they did, Peter wouldn't have done what he did at the Last Supper, right? They're just soaking it in. Why am I telling you this story today? Because Jesus, in that moment, in his transfiguring, He was showing, hey, I'm here, but I'm somewhere else also. And I have an identity up there that you don't fully know. And he wanted them to catch a glimpse of it so that they would draw near to him. Amen? 
Let's look at one more scripture. I love this. This is Jesus praying for his disciples, and this is what he is praying for you as well. John chapter 17, verse 24. Jesus is praying a lot uh, in this passage. We're only going to look at one sentence of it. You can read the whole thing later if you'd like to. But as he's praying, he's talking to the Father about what he hopes God will do for his people. And then he says, Father, I ask that you allow everyone that you have, be, that you have given to me to be with me where I am. Hmm. So here I am with you. And I'm saying to you guys, I want you to be with me where I am. And all of you are thinking, I am, right? We're together in this room. We're in this moment at 1119 together. What are you talking about? They're looking at Jesus going, with you where you are. You're here with us. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Not just right here, right here. Behind this veil that you don't yet have access to. Father, I want them to be able to be with me where I am. Where is he? He's also seated in heaven while he's doing his ministry on the earth. It's crazy. So what does it look like for you and I to live like that? What does it look like for us to fulfill Jesus' prayer? That we would be with him where he is while we are also where we are right now. I just want us to think about that for a second. And if we're able to do that, what happens as the result in our lives? I want to tell you guys some stories, some personal stories of mine that um, some of you guys may have heard some of these before, but I've never, I don't think I've ever really preached them. And the reason is because um, I don't ever want to create an environment where people think that this is what it looks like when you follow God. Does that make sense? My personal experience with God is my personal experience. And it's unique to me for a hundred different ways. And I could tell you the difference between the way that Grant interacts, like proverbially behind the veil, and I interact with the Lord behind the veil. And it's not the same. It's equally as powerful. He'll tell me stories and sometimes I'm like, man, I'm jealous. I wish I could do that, right? I wish I could experience God like that. And I'll tell him stories sometimes and he's like, man, God, why don't you let me do that? And I'm telling you that as a starting point because if we begin to make a formula out of someone's experience, we are so far gone. Amen? If we begin to look at someone and say, oh, that's maturity. I have to have this kind of experience if I'm going to be considered mature in God. You're already listening to the spirit of religion. You're not listening to the Holy Spirit. You guys are each uniquely designed to have dramatic, eclectic, bizarre encounters with God. And they don't have to look the same for any one of us for them to be valid, worthwhile, and life-changing. Amen? Some of the best encounters I've had with God were from me saying, Lord, what do you want to say to me today? He'll say something and I'll say, can you give me a scripture to back it up? He will, and the scripture will say verbatim what it is. I don't know why that happens to me. It just does. And it's unique to me and it changes my life. You might have the same experience and it's like, oh, that was cool, but whatever. Right? So it's not about what's actually happening. So I just need to say that as a disclaimer because if you leave today's message thinking, I've got to figure out how to do what Rachel's talking about, then I've done you a disservice. I want you to leave today saying, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me? Because that is tailor-made for who you are, the uniqueness of your life, the woundings you've encountered, and the places God wants to take you to. Okay, enough disclaimer. 
So about 12 years ago, something started happening to me that I couldn't really understand. And I started, um, I, it's, it's basically we're talking about seeing in the spirit. And I started experiencing this gift in my life. And it started where I would be in worship at my church uh, in Texas, actually. And I'd begin to see people that looked like figures on the stage that weren't really there. And they would be dancing and worshiping. And I just thought I was kind of losing my mind a little bit. So I did not tell anyone. And a few, I, I don't know, this went on for a while. And then weirder things started happening where I'd be interacting with someone and I could actually see words over their forehead. So I'd ask them questions like, do you ever deal with like depression? Oh, yeah, I really do, right? And I would say it because I saw the word depression over their face. I didn't tell them why. I didn't tell them how I came about that. We'd do some ministry. And, uh, and then a couple years later, I got friends with somebody who was on our team uh, at the church we planted in Norman. And uh, she also had a, a very dramatic seeing gift. And so it brought me to a little bit more of a normal place about it. And so I began to share some of my experiences more. And then something happened where the experience went from interesting to completely immersive. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I want to share some of these stories with you guys today for this reason alone. I want you to see what it's like when we live behind this veil. Because what I think we do is God has removed it and we put it back. We're like the people, God invited everybody up on the mountain to worship, but the people decided that was a little uncomfortable. You go, Moses, and give us the bullet points, right? Give us the cliff notes. They, and then Moses has this dramatic encounter. He comes down, his face is even different, and they're like, that's too much. Put on a veil. I don't even want to look at you. Why? Because it made them feel uncomfortable, I think, because they missed out, and then they were jealous, Okay? So how many of us reveil God because we don't understand it or we feel like we can't control it? So what I'm talking to you about today through these stories is what it looks like to live behind the veil or should I say unveiled before the Lord. So we were at a conference 10 years ago now uh, in Redding, California, actually at Bethel Church there. And for a number of reasons, this particular week changed our life. But uh, one of the reasons was because on the Wednesday or Thursday, so about halfway through the conference, Bill Johnson was preaching a message called Hosting the Presence of the Holy Spirit. This is before he wrote the book, several years before. And it was one of those moments where the preacher is talking and the presence of God is so thick in the room that you just feel it, you know? And he gets about halfway through the message and he stopped and he said, I think we need to worship. Can we just stop and worship? And everybody's like, okay. And he begins to sing, we exalt thee, we exalt thee. And everybody is singing with him. I think there was like 12 to 1,400 people in the room. And so I'm, I have my eyes open because if you're a seer, it's a lot more fun to just keep your eyes open and see what God is doing when you're worshiping. And so I had my eyes open and I'm worshiping and it was a really beautiful moment. And then I saw something that looked like a multitude of angels in the ceiling of the room. And the room was like a, a conference center and the angels were all facing the middle, okay? So they were facing each other. And I was like, wow, that's cool. I had seen angels before, so it didn't knock me over or anything, but it was pretty cool. And then I looked at the stage, and I saw what seemed to be Jesus walk out onto the stage. And he walked from the back behind where Bill was standing, and he came to the front, and he had his arms out like this. The only way I can explain it is to say it seemed like he was receiving the worship of the people, it was an epically beautiful moment. And when Jesus got to the front of the stage, all of the angels shot to the same direction. And they began to worship louder. And 
I don't even care what you think about what I'm about to say because this is what happened. He, when he gets to the front of the stage, it was like pandemonium broke out in the room, okay? People started laughing, people started weeping, people started crying, some people started shaking, people started yelling. It was like nobody was worshiping anymore. They were all having an experience with God, which this is the way I like to think about it. If you touch an electrical wire, you're going to have a physical reaction, right? We all know that. Nobody wants to touch one (laughs) for good reason. When you grab hold of the true presence of God, your body is probably going to have a reaction too, okay? So this is what happened to me. I just, I am like undone. I'm like sobbing. I'm, I'm having a major physical experience with the Lord. And I'm watching him, uh, I'm watching Jesus receive this worship, and I'm going, what in the world? And then the craziest thing happened. Nobody could sing anymore because everybody, Grant was there, he can testify. Everybody was like so beside themselves. The angels started singing and the whole room could hear it. And it was like three minutes of continuous noise that was coming from these angels with no breaks in it. Now, you guys, if you know me at all, you know I'm a skeptic by nature, okay? So I know some of you guys don't know me very well or haven't heard me preach a lot. I don't ever talk about this kind of stuff unless I genuinely believe it was truly God. And I'm sitting there and I'm having that thought when it was all over, all I could think about, my mind is so weird. You know that Mercy Me song, Will I Stand Before You, Jesus? On my knee. I was like, that song is so theologically wrong. None of us are standing. None of us are thinking. We're all just beside ourselves, right? <laughs> Anyways. And, uh, and so, so this is happening in this moment. And I just, I was, un, I was undone. Because in that moment, it wasn't just hearing the angels sing. It wasn't just what I saw. It was the combination of all of it convinced me There is no distance between heaven and earth. The only distance between heaven and earth is what we put there. Romans tells us this, right? There's no heights. There's no depths. It's not your sin, your past, your future sin. There's there's no power on earth. There's no demonic power that can separate you from God. The only power is you. And it's a tough pill to swallow because we want to be like, oh, it's the enemy. Even then, it's not the enemy. It's, it's you partnering with the enemy. What the craziest thing about that whole story was my, my seer friend I told you about a minute ago who was on our staff, um, she was watching the service on Bethel TV live from Norman because she hadn't come with us. And uh, later, a few weeks later, I found out that what she saw in the spirit through the recording was exactly the same as what I did, which wigged me out like crazy because that doesn't happen very often. Um, But it encouraged me that this is God and this was God doing something in us. I don't know when this fits on the timeline of my life, but around that same two-year time period, we were at a youth camp. We were youth pastors at the time. We took a group of students to Texas with some other youth pastor friends of ours to do a camp. And we were at a, a leaders meeting one of the mornings with all the volunteers and talking about the day and whatnot. And they were worshiping. And um, while they were worshiping, I just looked with my eyes and I saw something that looked like different beings lining up the room and they were holding different types of things. And when they came into the room, two of them had what looked to be like an old projector screen that had like a tripod legs and then you lifted it up like this. You guys remember those like from the 50s, you lift, roll, it's like a roller thing. And they lifted them up at different heights and one of them was blue and one of them was orange. 
And if you have a gifting like this, the best thing you can do is get really good at asking God, what is that? Um, Because there's no dictionary or glossary thing that's going to really help you. And I want to really challenge you, if you have encounters with the Lord where you don't understand the symbolism, ask God to define it for you. I think one of the things that we want to do is go borrow someone else's revelation, but God is trying to develop a language with each one of you, okay? And so we need to be faithful to let him do that. So here's what that looks like. Sometimes, uh, here's an example. So I saw these colors, and, and I decided, I discerned there was a pattern where if I would see blue, it typically meant healing. So in me, I'm like, oh, so if I see blue, it's healing. So for example, um, a couple years after this, we were sitting under a teaching, Bob Jones was teaching, one of the most prolific seers of, of really the last 100 years. And he starts on this tangent about what colors mean. And I'm ripping in my notes because he talks really fast. Brown is this, purple is this, clear is this, blue is this, orange is this. And I'm like, you know, trying, I'm like, I'm gonna have to buy the CD, this was too much. And then I looked down when he was done and none of the meanings that he had were the meanings that I had. And I had a moment where I was like, is my whole life meaningless? You ever do that, you know? Am I just so wrong? Like, this is Bob Jones. And then I'm thinking, I'm about to tell you a story that's going to show you that the color that what God told me about that color was what it was. And I'm going, well, how do I reconcile that? And then the Lord said to me, Rachel, I want to give you a language with me. And it doesn't matter if it's the same as somebody else. Okay, so the next two stories I'm going to tell you have to do with colors. And so if you're like, oh, I've seen a color and it wasn't that, that's totally fine. Okay, this is not a formula. In fact, when we get into stuff with the Holy Spirit, about the time you make a formula, you're already wrong. So um, pro tip for you, life hack for you. So here's what happened. Uh, So I see these projectors go up. One's blue, one's orange. And I'm like, I think the blue is healing. That's kind of cool. And I said, but Lord, what's the orange? I've never seen that before. And God said, the orange is the anointing for the gift of tongues. And I was like, oh, okay, that was weird. And uh, because I'm a skeptical, okay, so that's unfortunately my response to just about everything. So so I said, said, what do you want me to do with that, Lord? And he goes, well, we need to pray for anybody that wants the gift of tongues. I kid you not, before I could even move towards the pastor who was leading the the meeting to say that, he, he prophetically utters, the Lord is here with the gift of tongues. Does anybody want the gift of tongues? And I'm like okay. I said, why don't you have them come stand right here? Because right there in the room where that projector was, was now glowing and the orange was like coming out. And I thought, well, this is freaky. And so all the people came and stood right there. There was about a dozen of them. Every single person that wanted the gift of tongues got it and they got it like that. I'm telling you, it was like, put your hands on them. It starts coming out of their mouth, which if you've been around the Holy Spirit for a while, doesn't always happen. Okay. So I'm like, how do I box that up and bring it with me? Like we're going to do the gift of tongues and start glowing, right? That would be witchcraft because that would be control. So we're not going to do that. But, um, but anyways, later in that meeting uh, at that youth camp, sorry, we were doing a, a worship night at the evening service like they do. And I just was doing what I do, just watch and worship and watch. And I saw this angel come out with this large, we're talking 20 foot tall flag that was blue and he's waving the flag over the auditorium. And I was like, what is that? Again, this is the question you should ask. And the Lord said, oh, there's an anointing for healing tonight. I said, yes, right? I don't know, because I get excited about that kind of stuff. And so I said, what do you want me to do? And he goes, go tell the pastor. I said, okay. So I go and I tell the pastor, hey, this is what I saw. We were good friends, so there was a rapport there. And he said, um, somebody else came up and said, they didn't see that, but they said that they felt like there was an anointing for healing. So he's like, let's do it. I'm like, let's do it. They call these students up. I think there was somewhere around 400, 500 students at this conference, at this camp, and um, I think at least 20 of them got healed that night. 
I know two of them were truly healed from asthma. I know two of them came in on crutches and left without crutches. And there was a number of other healings that happened that night. Why? Because the distance between heaven and earth became non-existent. Are you guys tracking with me? This is the point that I'm telling you of these stories. When we live with this understanding, then this is what we do. We recognize that God dealt with this veil, and so we don't need it, okay? All of us are carrying around a veil in our flesh. We are. And we're all deciding at different points, you make me uncomfortable right now, Lord. (laughs) Cover up. We do this. I still do this sometimes. I'm being totally transparent with you guys. The goal is to live in a way that's like this, where the veil is super thin. Here's what I know to be true. Paul says we only prophesy in part, right? Ain't none of us ever going to see the whole picture every time. So just know that. So we're not trying to, to be like living as if there's like, like that we're 100% accurate all the time, right? That would be pride. We need each other. We need each other's revelation. But what we definitely need to do is recognize that this is not the way that we're supposed to live. It looks a lot more like this. This is incredibly janky, so I'm sorry, but um, this is what it's supposed to be. So you can still see through it. If it was even thinner, you could still see the microphone stand behind there. But this is what it's like, guys, when we begin to say, Lord, I want to live unveiled before you. And when we recognize that we're putting it up, that we tear it down. Sometimes I think we put it up and then we're going, what happened, Lord? I was experiencing all this stuff, and then we're waiting on him to do something, and he's waiting on us to take it down. All the great people in the Bible had one thing in common. You want to know what it was? All of them gave God the freedom to be himself. In my personal journey, I've I've gone through a lot of healing. (laughs) Most of you guys know that story. Um, But one of the most significant things that God has done is is bring me to a place where I could accept myself 100% as I am, and be okay with that. I really love myself. Really have no self-hate at all. And um, maybe a little too much sometimes. <laughs> Just kidding, sort of. Um, but the thing is, when I began to get a taste of what that felt like for me, my constant prayer for the last, I don't know, eight or nine years has been, oh, God, I want that for you. When you're in my midst, you are free. I might not like it. I might need a moment to process I might need to be like, catch it tomorrow and let's re-talk about that, you know? But I want you to be free to be yourself. Holy Spirit, I want you to be free. You usually do stuff I wouldn't do, but you're God. Are you guys tracking with me? I think that the number one thing, all these people that we love in the Bible, the, the thing they had in common was when they looked at God, they did not expect anything except for him to be himself. What does it look like when all of us approach him in that same way? When all of us show up and say, God, I... I thought you were going to be this, but I'm, I'm putting all that behind me. I'm taking the veil down. Let me see you in your glory. Recently, uh, I had an interesting experience. I probably would never have said this out loud, except that somebody sent me a testimony two weeks ago and had the same thing. So I thought, well, that was interesting. And shortly after we reopened, after the quarantine lockdown thing was over, uh, I was worshiping up here on, on a Sunday morning, and um, I, I felt someone standing behind me, and I could, I felt, it felt like pure worship. And I could feel like, uh, like breath on my shoulder. And, and I had this dual thought, which was, 
I really want to know who that is because, wow, the Spirit of God is on them right now. And also, who would dare stand so close to me during this COVID pandemic and breathe on my shoulder? So this is how it's like to be me. So anyways, I'm standing there, and I'm trying to push away that thought, you know, and I'm trying to wait for an opportune time to turn around and see which one of you it was. Because I was like, that was really amazing, but I felt like they were right here, so I didn't want to like whip you with my hair. So I'm standing there, and I'm like waiting for an opportune time, and I turn around, and there's no one there. And I was like, whoa, that was super trippy, right? I said, Lord, what was that? And he said, uh, oh, it's just an angel of my presence. And I was like, oh, sweet. It, that's what it felt like. It really felt like the presence of God. And uh, like I said, these things are not necessarily uncommon for me. So, you know, I don't always feel like I need to tell anybody about it. But a week, or, a week ago, two weeks ago, there was somebody here who, for the first time. They're from out of town. They were visiting. And uh, they received some prayer ministry afterwards for healing. And they were totally healed of some big stuff that was going on in their life. So that was awesome, right? So they were texting to say, here's the testimony. And they said, it was the weirdest thing. I felt somebody standing next to me. And it was the most comforting presence I'd ever felt. And when I looked over, nobody was there. What do you make of that? And I was like, there must be some angel that's moving around the room. So if you feel, you know, breath on your neck, it might be somebody. Give it a minute. But it might be an angel of the Lord. I'm just being silly. But the reason why I tell you that is because even now, even today, God wants to break through what we perceive to be the barrier between him. So when we get comfortable with no separation between you and God, with no separation between you and the kingdom of God, things begin to happen, not just to you, but through you. So we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit all the time, right? And a lot of times what it looks like when we interact with the Holy Spirit is it's almost like we take our hand and we go back here and we grab something out and we say, oh, it looks like a tree. Does that mean anything to you? And that's powerful. And that's where we start. And that's where we should be challenging ourselves. But what does it look like if we just move beyond and we let our whole self get back here? Are you guys tracking with me? That we push to go deeper, that we push to be more in the flow, that we push to let go of our insecurities. I think one of the biggest things that's happening right now is that when we perceive something from God, then we start to do this because we're like, I don't know what people are going to think. I don't know what people are going to think about me if I say this. I don't, I don't know. Could that be true? But when we let this go, God can do amazing things. You guys with me on that? <laughs> For me personally, when I look at the cross, I see two equally significant things. The first thing is the salvation for our sins. I mean, we can never diminish that, amen? It's, in, it's enormous. But it's not the entirety of what the cross was for. The second thing that Jesus, and I believe when it says for the joy said before, part of that joy was for your eternal standing, but part of that joy was that you get to be with him back here. And he's like, this is going to be so fun to have eternity of people who get to be with me where I am. I don't even care how painful this is because this is going to be amazing. But how many of us don't take the cross for everything that it's worth? This, if you hear nothing else, hear me challenge you in this way. You've got to take the cross for everything that it's worth. My perspective on where I feel like God is moving us as a church and what he's doing in this hour is he is awakening us to this type of life so that we can partner with him. But in this type of life, there is no room for our insecurity. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. There's just not. I was at a conference a few weeks ago. I was praying for a girl. I felt like the Lord highlighted her to me, and I said, I don't know why. I, I basically had said, Lord, just show me what you want to do. And I, I felt like her neck 
Like I zeroed in on her neck and I don't know why, but I said, do you have any issues with your thyroid? And she was like, no. I was like, oh, okay. And then I heard myself say, I felt like God said there was something about your neck. And I thought, I don't know how those words came out of my mouth because that is what I thought, but, and I am an external processor, so maybe it just bypassed my, you know, logical mind. But it was like, the words came out and I'm like, oh shoot, I can't take it back now. And she goes, I have had this tremendous pain for two weeks. And I was like, well, apparently God really wants to heal that. And so we prayed, and then we prayed again, and then we had to pray a third time, and her neck was totally healed, through the, and God did a bunch of other stuff through that process. If I had stopped when the words came out and it felt very uncomfortable for me, she would not have been healed in that moment. See, most of the time we think that if we don't participate with God, somebody else will come along. But that's not really the way that God works. Moses was a one-time deal. There was no other way to put a baby back in a basket and get him to Pharaoh's house. It was a one-time deal. Moses had no choice but to partner with God, if you think about it. I think that's why God was like, fine, take, take Aaron. Fine, do this, right? We gotta, it's got to be you. But I think in the same way, I'm saying to you guys, it's got to be you. There's something that you need to do to partner with the Lord. Amen? All right, so one other thing, and then we're going to kind of land this plane. Um, I know I said earlier a lot about this in terms of just making sure the position of our heart, the posture of our heart is correct. But the veil or the separation or whatever word you want to use between heaven and earth, the, the how thin it becomes is directly related to the position of your heart. How thin it becomes is directly related to your willingness to lay your life down for others. I think that we absolutely have to get rid of this thing that if I live back here and so these amazing things happen through my life, that means I'm somehow inherently special. All of us are inherently special. We have to kind of like settle that. In the earlier days of my life, back in my early 20s, my biggest like life quest, my Indiana Jones epic quest of my life was to feel like I was significant and worthwhile. And so I used ministry a lot to try to fill that place. And I had a, a really loving pastor who would consistently remind me that that was wrong. It was so, so thankful for him. But it was a beautiful thing because he was adamant. When you discover you don't need external things to be significant, then you'll be that much more powerful in the kingdom. And so when we come to this and we go, gimme, 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 Lord, because I'm going to feel better about myself, we're already doing it wrong. When we come to this and say, because of the cross, because of your goodness, because you want me to be with you where you are, I can access this, and for the benefit of everyone around me, that's where the veil becomes thin and things begin to happen that we want to see in our lives. Amen? All right. It can't be about you. I think you guys know that. And I think what's exciting to me is that when I look around this room and I think about all of your personal journeys with God, it's like whatever happens when you get into this place, it is going to be so diverse and equally as beautiful. And so I hope you're feeling hungry. I hope you're feeling excited. I hope you're feeling inspired to, to press into that. So that being said, we, I told you guys if you get our emails, slight plug, um, we send out a weekly email, mostly. Sometimes it's 
bi-weekly, occasionally it's monthly. And the reason why we do that is because we're not gonna send you an email with information you don't need, and we don't wanna be redundant. So I get the statistics of who is and is not opening the emails. I, don't ha I can go look at your names, I don't. But I know that the majority of y'all aren't opening them, so this is my motherly moment to say to you, uh, it's, if, if we send you an email, there's actually something in there you probably wanna know, and we work hard to keep it brief and you can just scroll through. So if nothing else, just click open. It'll make me feel better about myself when that, I'm actually kidding about that. But, um, but I do wanna challenge you guys. So if you read the email this last week, which I know only 40% of our list did, so it's probably not many of you in this room, but if you read the email this week, you know we said we're making a big announcement. So you guys ready for our big announcement? I know, you're like so excited. So in my heart and in our heart, uh, we felt like God was leading us to do this for a long time and just a couple weeks ago felt like God said, are you gonna put a stake in the ground or not? And I said, okay, fine, we'll do it. We'll put a stake in the ground. And so um, in the vein of what we're talking about today and in my eternal challenge to help people get activated into this, to walk like this becomes a part of your life, we are starting a abbreviated ministry school what? that is called uh, Bethel School of Discipleship. So it's a three-month thing, okay? Here's how it's going to work. It's Monday night, September 14th through the first week of December. We're going to take a week over Thanksgiving that we won't meet. And um, this is what it looks like. If you sign up, you, it's a small fee involved. There's an application process involved. Um, and you do have to actually come if you sign up, okay? So uh, you have to be, like, honestly serious about it. But here's the thing. We're, this is the beginning. This is the beta. I'm sure it will grow into more over the years. But we've decided that to do this and to do it well, we need to have at least 10 students in the first class. So I'm telling all of you guys, if you're interested, uh, there'll be, we're going to send out over the email this next week some application information. So actually open that one if you're interested. Um, but we're going to be, yeah. So anyways, it starts September 14th. And we'll have some local pastors that are speaking. And we'll have some uh, people that are coming in from out of town for it. Basically, the way that Grant and I feel about this is if you are serious that you want to become a disciple of Jesus, to let him grow you into who you are supposed to be, this is the best way to make that happen for you in this community without moving somewhere, which we love what Drew is doing, and it's incredible. Um, this is not that. It's a totally different type of thing. But um, anyways, it's a three-month-long school, so make a note of it. If you're interested, come let me know. Again, we'll have to get 10 students to come. Um, if the COVID stuff gets worse, we'll, we'll social distance and all that kind of stuff. I'm not worried about it. Um, all right. So that being said, that's our big announcement. Yay. Wow, Rachel, we've been waiting for this. Uh, <laughs> halfway teasing. So here's what I want to do to end our time together. I want us to take a moment to activate what you're listening to for today. Okay. So here's what that looks like. I'm going to ask in a second, I'm going to ask all of you guys to stand up. But if you're, if you're like, Lord, I want to experience you. I want to be with you where you are, okay? We just want to fulfill that prayer for Jesus. I want to be with you where you are. Then what I want you to do is we're going to pray together. And I want you to just close your eyes. And a lot of times for me, what I do, and it's, it's using my imagination as a doorway to the presence of God, okay? And so I'll just literally pick, picture myself going either through a doorway or behind a curtain, which is a, a, it's like a trigger for my spirit to remember, okay, I'm letting go of my preconceived ideas and I'm just approaching you, God, for whatever you have for me, okay? You don't have to do that if, you're, if you don't use your mind like that. That's totally fine. You can just ask God. 
But if you're an imaginative person, I want to encourage you, begin to like build that into your rhythm of, of like weeding through life to get into where God is. Does that make sense? All right, so stand on up if you can. Again, you don't have to pray this, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the Lord to give you an encounter here. And I know for some it's going to look like, um, like a prophetic word for somebody else. I know for others it might look like a word of knowledge for healing. I don't know what God is going to do. I know he's going to do something, okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to ask the Lord, and then we're going to do something about what he says because we're not just going to be hearers. We're going to be doers. Amen? So that's how we're ending up our time right now. So just put your hands out like you're going to receive something from the Lord. Father, we thank you that on the cross you drew near to us so that we could draw near to you. And so, Lord, I just release over all of my friends here and listening to this. Lord, we want to be with you where you are. We want to go behind the proverbial veil. We want to tear down our preconceived ideas, our, our, our frustrations with you, our disappointments with you. We want to remove that, and we want to receive what you have in Jesus' name. So I'm going to be quiet for a moment, and you can keep your hands out, but just keep your heart in a posture of receiving. And when you see something or feel something and you don't understand it, just ask God my favorite question, what is that? What do you want me to do with it? So right now, Holy Spirit, we just release your, your, your ministry in this room. We release open heaven encounters over people right now. Lord, we come collectively sort of behind this proverbial veil to be with you where you are. And Lord, I ask that you release your angels to do their ministry in this room as well in Jesus' name. We're going to take a moment and just let him speak. Thank you.